0: Hello and welcome to the Alan and Overy podcast. Today we're going to focus on Turkey and in particular, the restructuring market. We'll look at some of the recent developments, consider how these are playing out in practice, and discuss what the opportunities might be for investors and other stakeholders in the short to medium term. My name is Nick Charlwood, and I'm a senior associate in Alan and Overy's Global Restructuring Group. Joining me today are Hakker Gedik and Joe Clinton, who are both partners in our banking team in Istanbul. Hacker and Joe both advise clients on a wide range of finance matters and Hacker recently led the Allen & Overy team advising the lenders on the landmark Otash restructuring. So Joe, if I can start with you, why are we talking about Turkey and why now?
1: Well, Turkey was obviously in the news quite a lot last summer when the currency devalued significantly and there's a lot of turbulence in the markets. Since then, the currency has stabilized somewhat, although still at a level which is significantly above where it was a year ago. What we find during that period is that the capital markets have uh, reduced the liquidity available, and many Turkish borrowers have found it difficult to refinance their foreign currency denominated debts. In addition, uh, many borrowers who have dollar or euro denominated debt are certainly struggling with the exchange rate differential where they have lira revenues only. So we found quite a bit of turbulence in the market, and there's certainly opportunities now that we're seeing for alternative credit providers to step in to um, bridge the gap in the liquidity that that has occurred in the capital markets.
0: So Haka, there's been a lot of changes over the past uh, few months in Turkey. What would you say has been the biggest legal, political or other change that's affected the restructuring market?
2: I think the most important change was economical. If we take a step back and look at the last 10, 15 years of economic activity in Turkey, um, we can see that... um, The amount of foreign borrowing has significantly increased. In 2006, we used to have uh, 200 billion of US dollar denominated um, foreign currency borrowing by Turkish companies and the Turkish government. And in 2018, that had increased to 450 billion uh, US dollars. So it has more than doubled over the last uh, 10, 12 years. That was, to a certain extent, a function of Turkey integrating into the global economy. It had something to do with the rise of emerging markets in general. Uh, And also, I think it was partly driven by the availability of cheap money as a result of quantitative easing being implemented first in the U.S. and then in Europe. So Turkey has um, significantly benefited over the last 10, 15 years Uh, from these developments, and that has led to Turkish borrowers, uh, including the Turkish government, taking on a significant amount of uh, foreign currency-denominated debt. However, markets um, have, over the last summer, uh, reacted sensitively to perceived idiosyncratic risks of the Turkish economy, and they have also taken a view that the expected tightening of external funding might make the refinancing of the the Turkish Fx-denominated debt more difficult. Uh, So that was actually the reason which um, was behind the spike in the exchange rate, uh, which at one point doubled from 3.5 Turkish Lira per dollar to 7 Turkish Liras per dollar. Um, I mean, fortunately enough, the Turkish economy has since then Uh, stabilized. The exchange rate has gone back from uh, 7 in, say, August, uh, September 2018, to 5.2 at year end. Uh, So the markets have been able to cope with that change in the short term, but it has obviously put a lot of stress on Turkish borrowers. And so it has created the need to address the mismatch between foreign currency denominated debt and Turkish lira denominated revenues. That was actually the reason why um, the Turkish government um, saw this as an opportunity to come in and to address the need for a restructuring of the foreign currency denominated debt.
0: And just touching on that action by the Turkish government. Can you tell us what what they've done and how that's been perceived in the market?
2: Yeah, the Turkish government actually, um, uh, through the BRSA, basically issued secondary legislation allowing for a voluntary out-of-court restructuring by Turkish banks. And the Turkish Banks Association was entrusted with putting together a framework agreement which um, uh, functions as a blueprint for all restructurings in the Turkish market. The new restructuring framework is geared towards Turkish banks. Uh, It gives Turkish banks the opportunity to restructure Turkish borrowers debt in a voluntary and uh, mutually consensual way out of the Turkish courts. So it provides an alternative to the insolvency regime that would otherwise be available to borrowers. The restructuring, framework gives international lenders the opportunity to exceed, but it does not uh, force them into the same deal, uh, which I think is from foreign investors, foreign lenders perspective quite important. So they can take a view as to whether or not they want to join the club of Turkish banks that is working on a restructuring with a Turkish borrower. It's also, I think, important to, to bear in mind that if a foreign lender takes the view to stay away from the restructuring uh, that is being put in place for a Turkish borrower that it has lent to. The bespoke restructuring agreement that is being negotiated between the Turkish banks and the borrower will have no impact whatsoever on the existing arrangement between the foreign lender and the Turkish borrower. So those two arrangements will stand side by side and any lender, foreign lender who decides not to opt in will enjoy the same rights that it had previous to the bespoke restructuring being put in place between the turkish lenders and the turkish borrower
0: joe you mentioned there have been some restructurings over the past summer where the turkish debt's been restructured but the international debt's been left unimpaired is that uh something you expect to see changing over the next next year or so
1: yeah so we've seen a few examples um, such as the yielded is restructuring where the Turkish banks restructured their debt but the international lenders were were left alone I think inevitably um, over time that will have to develop and international lenders will be brought further into the restructuring um, of Turkish borrowers I think we've seen with the OTAS transaction where that has happened and we expect that to be a trend that continues um, I think it is inevitable that the international lenders have to involved in the process somehow
0: and and we should talk about Otash um, obviously a large transaction probably one of the most significant in the market last year how does that fit in with the dynamics you've been describing and with the net set of changes yeah Otash
2: was a good example of what happened to Turkish companies Um, Otash acquired a 55% stake in Truk Telecom the Turkish telecommunications service provider in the early 2000s through privatization The acquisition of the 55% stake was entirely financed by a fixed denominated debt. So it was a classic acquisition financing and it worked for more than 10 years really well. Uh, Otash was able to repay the loan through dividends that it received from Turk Telecom and as long as the exchange rate did not move too much the dividends were always more than sufficient to allow Otash to repay, uh, to service its debt. When the exchange rates started to move significantly, that model was no longer viable. And Otash was basically no longer able to service its debt. So the Turkish banks uh, and the international lenders had to take a view how to solve the issue. And in order to give themselves the opportunity to achieve the appropriate value for the 55% stake in Telecom, They took a view to warehouse the stake in an SPV. So they stepped in and took over the 55% stake and put in place a new financing and took out Otage. This was um, a very successful example of all stakeholders cooperating in a very successful manner to achieve a deal that ultimately helped all. So, Uh, Otash was taken out and um, the Turkish lenders were able to stabilize uh, the situation in relation to the 55% stake in Türk Telekom. And another important stakeholder, the Turkish government, did a great deal in helping the parties achieving uh, successful restructuring. Otash, however, um, was in two ways different. It was not done under the new restructuring framework. The new restructuring framework only came in in the third quarter last year. At that point, the OTAS transaction had already been quite advanced, uh, so it could not benefit from the new restructuring regime. It was also different in that there was um, a club of Turkish lenders which held the significant majority of the debt but there was also a group of international lenders and the group of international lenders and the Turkish lenders worked very successfully together to achieve this um,
0: out-of-court
2: restructuring in a smooth manner.
0: Joe, you mentioned at the start um, opportunities for alternative credit providers. In which areas, sectors, um, sizes of companies do you see those opportunities coming up in the next 12 to 24 months?
1: I think it's fair to say that the liquidity issues that Turkey has at the moment in terms of access to capital markets for for many corporates is is across all sectors. What we're seeing is the effect of the currency exchange rate moving um, and therefore it's not limited to any particular business. Those businesses obviously that have foreign denominated income are in a much better position, but actually I think the opportunities are across all sectors. I think the opportunities are in a number of different areas, so for example, Uh, Businesses which need short-term liquidity funding in order to prevent them from having to fire sale assets, Um, but also longer-term funding for for businesses that um, have strong fundamental underlying economics, but at the moment are struggling with access to capital. Um, And so I think we're seeing across a number of different sectors, alternative credit providers such as um, emerging markets funds and and other players come into that market to deploy liquidity. Uh, And there's certainly a need for that.
0: Hacker, if I can touch on the restructuring framework law that you mentioned, if you're able to put that in a broader historical context, why did the government act so quickly and why did it act in the way it did?
2: Yeah, it was not the first time that the government was confronted with, uh, with such a challenge. We had a similar situation back in the early 2000s. Uh, at that time, there was also volatility in the exchange rate. At that time, Turkey was a high inflation country. Um, So, there were maybe slightly different challenges at that time, Um, but the government had at that time, for the first time, put together the Istanbul approach, which was based on the London approach, and that was the first time that there was an attempt to do voluntary out-of-court restructuring uh, through the Turkish banks. But at that time, the Istanbul approach was more geared towards Turkish banks only, so there was no ability for foreign banks to opt in. And it was also geared only towards um, big-size borrowers, whereas the the new restructuring framework gives uh, all companies that are indebted for more than 100 million Turkish lira, i.e. roughly 20 million U.S. dollars, the opportunity... To, to seek a restructuring under the new framework.
0: Hacker, Joe, thank you for sharing your insights. It'll be fascinating to see how the situation you've described develops further and how the Turkish market continues to adapt to the challenges it's currently facing. Thank you so much. Thank you. <laughs>